If you have a Bible tonight, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. I want to title my message tonight, The Enemy is Robbing the Saints. Now, he shouldn't. He's not supposed to, but that's what he does. And while many saints in various places around the world are being robbed, of all those people, you shouldn't be. Amen? Amen. If there's anybody that I can think of myself from where I have been and who I have known that should be able to guard what's yours and do well in life spiritually, it should be us. And the only reason for that is that God, by his grace and his goodness, has given us his word. And he's even put into your hearts a desire to come out on a snowy night and hear it. But it wouldn't matter if it was snowing or not. People want to hear more because when you taste of a little and you see it work and things begin to function for you, you want more of it. At least I think you do. You really do. So in Isaiah 42, concerning saints being robbed, God says to his people, but this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey, and none delivereth for a spoil, and none saith restore. One translation says they are all taken in holes and shut up in prisons. They are made prisoners, and no one makes them free. They are taken by force, and no one says, give them back. Is it true that Christians many times are spoiled? That they who have been given light in this hour, in spite of what they have, are being robbed anyway? Is that true? It is true. Just because you've been taught well, or just because you've been in the right places at the right time, hearing the right thing doesn't mean that you believe it. And it certainly doesn't mean that just because you've heard a truth about power and might and ability, it doesn't mean that you will operate in power and might and ability. The devil is shrewd and clever, subtle, the Bible says. And he comes to outmaneuver you. He can cause, God allows it. We saw that with Job. I mean, the devil can cause things to come to pass in your life. And if they last long enough, you'll begin to question God. Well, did you mean what you said or not? It's just part of the devil's ploy. Because if he can meet you in your mind and begin to get you unsettled about his promises, he'll defeat you. I've watched it too many years. I don't like to see it happen, but I have seen this happen way too much. Way too much. You see, the Bible says in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief comes but for to kill and to steal and destroy. He'd like to rob you of your peace and your joy. He'd like to rob you of your possessions. And he'd like to take your life if he could. And yet God has given us so much in the Bible that tells us how not only to resist that, but to overcome all of that. We can't stop the devil from coming against us. He's called the tempter. And through many toils and temptations, we're going to enter into the kingdom. That's Acts 14. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom. Well, behind all this tribulation that just scatters people is the devil. He's the tempter. Paul wrote to Thessalonians once, and he said, you know, I've been concerned about you, and when I couldn't forbear any longer, he said, I sent to find out about your faith, whether or not the tempter had tempted you in our labor be in vain. Because if we labor in the word to get you on course and teach you how to overcome, and give you verses that God has given to us that shows you what you can put to practice in your life and what God watches over to perform. And this is the way it works and this is why it works. If we give you that, it ought to work. It's supposed to work. God has aimlessly said nothing. But when the enemy comes, he does his best to talk you out of all of that and to defeat you. 
leave you wondering whether or not this is ever going to work. How many years has it been now, people say? How long will it be? I don't know, but it doesn't look to me like it's ever going to work. In spite of what God said. You teach people. You point out things in the word. And you want people to see it and get it. And once they begin to get it, they'll begin to overcome. Not everybody seems to, but somebody will. If there was just two overcomers in this room, you'd be worth all the time and labor it would take to teach you every week. You would be. Because you're one of those that are hungry for the word. And you want to overcome. We're told in the word, for example, in Ephesians 4 in verse 27, that we are not to give place to the devil. Is that possible? Again, if the devil is a tempter and he keeps coming around and he keeps shoving against you and he keeps fighting you, if you begin to faint and lose heart, you won't draw your sword. You'll get weary of well-doing and you begin to give in. And next thing you know, you give place to the devil. You just try to learn to live with it. You just try to learn to put up with it and try not to let it get too big. People do that all the time. They get weary of fighting. I don't know if they fight at all, but they seem like they just get weary of trying to fight. They just give in. Just try to live with it. Just try to tolerate it. That's not the way we're supposed to live. We are told also in the Bible that in Ephesians six thirteen, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand is in opposition to falling or failing or being moved off course, being thrown aside. Standing is a picture of somebody who is not going to be moved. I mean, I know in whom I have believed, this person would say, I know in whom I have believed, and I'm going to take what I've heard, I'm going to honor God with it in my life. And when the devil comes against me, I'll just have to trust that God, who watches over his word to perform it, will watch over what he just showed me, because that's all I got. And I'm going to stand on that word. And they have learned, even though it didn't look like it was going to work at first, God makes it work. It builds you up on the inside. You get edified. You can't even know what I'm talking about unless you have had a fight or two, a battle, and you've won and you've overcome. And because your confidence goes up with the victory. But you'll never have a victory if you run or if you're scared or you run off. James 4, 7 says about the devil, and we've been taught this too. He says, if you resist the devil, what will he do? He'll flee from you. That's what my Bible says. If you resist the devil, he will flee. Your family, your finances, your body, your peace and well-being. I don't care how old you are, if you're young or if you're old. It doesn't matter. The devil's out to just destroy whoever, whenever. But the Bible says if you resist him, he, the devil will flee from you. So whatever it is in whatever area of your life he's trying to invade, if you resist him there, he will leave that alone. And you'll get the victory. Now, Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, now, he said, the devil goes about like a roaring lion. You know this. And he says, seeking whom he can devour. And he's been very successful at robbing. We could have called this the saints are being devoured. Because they are being devoured. They shouldn't be. And I don't mean by being devoured, they're just thrown out and they quit coming. Churches are full of people that are being devoured. They're not bad people. I'm not talking about people that are bad. They just don't know. They don't even know it's the devil that's doing it. Nobody's ever told them. My concern is the ones that have been told. We do know. We have pointed out various ways that the devil is robbing and cheating and stealing and overwhelming people, causing grief and sadness and sorrow and all kinds of disturbing things. And yet we're told he comes to do that, but he shouldn't be allowed to do that, at least not in your life, because God has given you his sword, his word. And he said he watches over his word to perform it. So having done all, stand. 
And the word stand means to resist. It means to take a hard stand. It's like being, you got your jaws tight, your fists are doubled up, your sword in your hand, your shield, and you say, I'm not going to move. Why would I move with this? Why would I show you my backside when this is enough right here in the front, the shield and the sword? There are people that are tough like that. And yet they're, they're not so tough as far as just tough. They just have determined that if God said it, God will do it. And the only way I can prove that is to stand and fight and see the victory. And whenever I see that, God's going to bless me. Let me give you some areas tonight, maybe four areas tonight on how the devil is robbing the saints. The first way he's robbing the saints, number one, is the way he's been doing it. He's his best shot is fear and worry. Fear and worry. They're cousins. They have a big brother called doubt. And one leads to the other one. Fear is simply phobos. It's just the word we get phobia from that. Things that make people scared. Things that frighten people. And when you get frightened or when you get scared and you think your life is in peril, you tend to forget the word. But the Holy Spirit will bring it to your mind whenever the enemy comes in. He'll bring his word right against you. But if you're given to fear, if you're fearful, if you hear the word of God, for example, you hear about divine healing and overcoming and walking out a problem or a trial and your mind begins to race and say, yeah, but now what if it was serious? What if it was such and such? Yeah, well, we hear about people that died because of this or that. Well, what if that? And then what would you? See, that's the kind of fear that dishonors God because you're putting the power of fear over and beyond or above the power of God. If God says he will do something, that ought to be enough. He'll do it. If he said, I'm the Lord that heals you, that's enough. He's our healer. He's our doctor. He's our healer. He's our medicine. He's everything that we need for all these kind of things. But if the devil can get you fearful, he can defeat you. See, the word worry that goes with fear, worry is a mental word. Like fear is a mental reaction. You, you react because of the fright, of the terror for some things. You know, All you need to do is read in a paper or hear a broadcast or the latest that there might be this happen or this could happen or, you know, they're just shooting here recently and, you know, they might just walk into church and start shooting. Now, people believe that and think that you don't have any help on your side if something like that were to happen. If you think you're alone in this world without any assistance, then maybe you ought to stay home. Do you really think that when God saved you and made you all these promises that he'll forsake you in the time of need? Why, No. If God be for us, well, the devil's against you. But what? so what? There's never been a saint that ever walked in this world the devil didn't try to overthrow. And when you read stories about how saints suffered much difficulty and went through this and went through that, but they triumphed in the end, praise God. God's no respect for persons. He'll do it for you too. He'll do it for you because the one thing that is required that we all can have and that we all have a measure of his faith. Remember a while ago, 1 Peter 5, he said the devil goes about like a roaring lion. Whom resists, he said, steadfast in the faith. One simple word with so much might that the darkness kingdom trembles at the thought of it. One Christian, one Christian with faith you can put a thousand demons to flight. One of you. Two of us, we can gang up on them. We can put 10,000 to flight. How many are in here tonight? If we were all in one accord and believing the same thing, how many devils would have to flee then? Quite a few. About one fiftieth of Shelbyville would have to go. There's a lot of demons around here. I'm just saying, folks, that we have nothing to be afraid of. Again, in Romans 8, whom should I fear? Who should I fear? God, of course. But whom should I have this phobia about? If God is for me, who can be against me? And yet Christians cower at the thought of, I'm fearful of the flu. 
I'm fearful of driving in the snow. I'm afraid I might have a wreck. I'm afraid this might happen. I'm afraid that might happen. We all have had fears like that. All of us did. There's no exceptions in this room tonight. I remember the times, as, as you probably can, many years ago, the first time you heard this about not being afraid. Of course, the devil ruled in your mind. It's a mental word, worry and fear. The devil began to show you what would happen if, what would happen if, what would happen if, you know, you know, all these kind of things to distract you from the truth, to make you think that it won't work for you. It's a nice preach that word. It's okay to say all of those things, but come on now, let's get real. And all of that opens the door up to fear and worry and doubt and things of that sort. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 and verse 40. I'm sure you're familiar when Jesus was asleep in the hinder part of the ship. In verse 38, he was asleep. And the ship is in a great storm on the sea. Now, we can't relate to that in this room. I don't think you can relate unless you've been on a stormy sea in a little boat and the outcome is uncertain. These guys were not in a great big boat. It was a big storm came. And the boat was filling up with water, which means it's going to sink. And Jesus was in the back of the ship asleep. I don't think he was too concerned about the storm. Because when he got into the boat, he said, let's go to the other side. And they're going to the other side. It's not that terribly far. You can see one side from the other. I've been there. I'm way, way out there, you can see the other side. About nine miles. And they were in there, and then the storm came up, and they couldn't get the water out of the boat fast enough. And then no doubt, one almost fell out, and there it grabbed him and holding on. And so they woke Jesus up, and they said, Master, don't you care that we're going to drown? What was the word he said? Verse 38, Master, carest not that we perish? You think they were afraid they were going to die? Of course they were afraid they were going to die. Again, this is natural. It's natural to be afraid of things like that. Unless, of course, you're like Jesus. You say, well, Jesus was an exception. Well, so are you. So are we. And we've been given a word that the world hasn't gotten. The world thinks we're crazy because we're not afraid of what they're afraid of. We shouldn't be afraid of it. So Jesus said, peace, be still. In verse 40, he said to his disciples, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Do you think he's telling us that faith is sufficient to stop a storm or to get to the other side? Either one. Go back one book to Matthew 14. Seemed like Jesus taught his disciples a number of things when he was on the sea. Matthew 14, verse 26, Jesus came, you know, walking on the water in another stormy night. And the Bible said, when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's Jesus, praise the Lord. No, they were troubled. Even though it was Jesus, they were troubled. They'd never seen anything like that before. We haven't either. We just read about it. Before we get too hard on these people for the terror that they were having, if you try to put yourself in that case, what would you have done? They hadn't been taught a whole lot yet. They're just getting into this. And Jesus is walking on the sea. Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come to thee on the water and so forth. But in verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. I guarantee you that when fear first knocked on their door, the fear began to tell them it's a message. The devil's best shot is fear. You know, this boat ain't going to hold up under this kind of pressure. I'm doubt very seriously if you're all going to be able to make it now. That's worry. Because your mind comes into play, this mental word, this mental marimna, to be distracted in your mind. And you begin to focus on trying to keep the boat up, and then your other mind says, we're going to die. You're going to sink and die, and nobody will ever find you, and you're going to lose everything. And that's what you get for following somebody who says he's the Messiah. Where is he now? Well, here he came. He came walking to him on the water, and they still couldn't believe it. 
They cried out for fear. The Greek word for cried out is like a shriek. <gasps> These are the saints. That isn't all. In James chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7, remember this? He said concerning worry, he said, but let him ask in faith without wavering. Why would you waver? For he that wavereth is like the waves of the sea. Now, a person who wavers is like the waves of the sea when there's a bit of turbulence. Nothing is steady. It's here and then it's there. And then you don't know when it's here or when it's there. And it's this way and that way. They said that a man who asks God for something and is not convinced and settled in his heart, even before he asks it, God has given it to him. He is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And these are difficult words, James writes. No wonder they didn't want to put this in the canon of the Bible. Many didn't want James as part of the Bible. Then these words, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Turn back to James. I just want you to see that what I'm talking about. Now, verse 8 tells us why we're not allowed to think that we're going to receive anything from God if we're unsure or if we doubt. Doubt is a mental word. Just like marimna is a mental word, so is a word for doubt here. The acrino. It has to do with two minds. Church is full of it. Now, I don't want to overdo this. Or I don't want to exaggerate this. But the Bible says he's a double-minded man. What is a double-minded man signified by? Instability, right? An unstable man is never sure. Now, he does well when there's no storms. He does well on bright, sunny days and feels good and got money in his pocket. Everything is fine. He's a champion of the faith. When he's tested to see if he'll have that same attitude when things are going bad, when things aren't well, he becomes fearful and afraid. And he begins to doubt because when you get fearful and you begin to worry about things, the very next thing that comes into your life is doubt. And doubt is a thief of huge dimensions. What verse 7 say? Let not that man think what? Now, how far does anything go? And again, I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want to make it more than it says. But let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Is that saying that anything and everything we receive from God, we receive by faith? You've got to believe it because he said it. You've got to live like it's true because he said it. You've got to act like it's true because he said it. That's all you got. That's all you got. I can't see him. I don't even see my answer yet. I feel as bad after I prayed as I did before I prayed. I can see no better after I pray than before. I can't walk any better afterwards as I could before. It looks like from the natural sense of things, it's not going to work at all. There's a reason the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. And the average person is robbed when after Five minutes after they pray, they don't look better, they don't feel better, and they go back to asking God the same thing again because they didn't believe it the first time, and they didn't believe it the second time either. They're highly offended when you tell them, well, you don't have any faith. Oh, they're ready to fight. Jesus said one time, how is it that you have no faith? I wonder what they thought about that. See, your problem with your fear, your worry, and your being out of sorts is the fact that you don't have any faith. Oh, you faith people are just killing people. I've heard so many stories about us. You faith people, you think everything is fixed by faith. I'm guilty. I think faith is the answer to anything. I think that's the answer to heaven, for heaven. I think that's the answer for the devil showing you his backside. I think faith is the reason, the answer, and the do-it-all. One word, faith. 
If thou canst believe, it's still in there, all things are possible. But why couldn't we cast the devil out, Lord? We told it to come out. It wouldn't come out. Why couldn't we cast it out? You know what he said? Because of your faith. How many times did Jesus say to his disciples, oh, you have little faith. Not just when they were on the water, but when they were arguing over something he said that they didn't understand. He said, oh, you have little faith. Don't you get it yet? You don't understand this? I spoke of the 5,000 here, the 4,000 there, and you are debating on whether or not leaven is to do with bread and we don't have any. Whew. He told them one time, he said, how long will I endure with you? Remember that? Oh, listen to me now. You know, I might as well say it. People worry and fret and feel like quitting because of a lack of faith in what God has said. And that's the devil's goal. That's the devil's goal is to talk you out of your faith. It's not going to work. How long have you had that symptom? How long have you been coughing? How long has that swelling take place? You know, that's a pretty high fever you have there. You need to do something as though you're not when you're trusting God. And people start thinking like that. They get out of sorts. You know, you've heard all the stories we had raising kids I think I've ever told. But they're my stories. I didn't get them from somebody else. Dancing around the floor one night with one of my little girls when she had a fever, she was turning blue. I mean, she was convulsing in my arm like us here and sweating. And I started dancing because I thought the Bible said, count it all joy. See, I'd made up my mind going into the battle that it has to be God. I'm just going to take him at his word. He doesn't, God doesn't quit testing you because you passed a trial or two here or there. He doesn't let up on you. God's never through with you. Start dancing around, and she didn't get better. I didn't say, this joy, his joy, grow, and she just felt, oh, I feel good now. It just stayed the same. Danced around there a while. Was I afraid? Well, fear is all over the room. It doesn't have to be controlled by it. You tend to worry. You tend to because it's a temptation. It comes to you. It knocks on your door. Hello, I'm worried. I'd like to come in. And you have to recognize what I've been told about you. After I heard who you were, I realized you've been in my house my whole life. I don't want you here. I refuse in the name of Jesus to worry. I'm going to take God at his word. I'll be a fool for Christ's sake if I have to, but I'm going to act like it's true. And you begin to do what your faith commands you to do. And the first thing that goes is your worry and your doubt. It just goes away. Depends on how far you want to go, of course. And God knows how strong you are. You know, he knew the trial that I had couldn't be a great big one because he probably knew I wasn't that strong anyway. It was strong enough for what came my way. Was able to overcome it by the grace of God. So praise God for all of that. But if you listen to the news a lot, you have plenty to worry about. The recession, whatever that is. They say we've had one. I don't know. Somebody said we did. Now, I'm not acting. They kept telling me there's a recession around here. I think we missed it. I do. Our offerings didn't decline that much during all that time. Everybody still worked. Everybody had something. I didn't have to go down to the poorhouse to get anybody out. I saw none of you standing in a soup line, but you listen to the paper. Some people just, oh my, what are we going to do now? You know, and unemployment's going up and up. There's no jobs. There isn't. Huh, I'll be. Seems like there's one somewhere if a Christian needs one. You can have a negative attitude about this. Or you can just say, no, if I need a job, God will find me one. I want a good one because he, in his training of me, he's taught me the abundant life. So I don't want one I can barely eck out a living. I want a good one. I want a good job. And I claim one. I call upon my heavenly father with all the resources that he has to provide for me a good job. And I receive it with thanksgiving in Jesus' name now.
Somebody said, oh, what are you going to do? I got a job. You do? Yeah. Where is it? I don't know yet. What do you mean you don't know yet? You got a job, but you don't know. What are you talking about? I'm believing God. All that stuff. They want you to get on the phone and call each other. What am I going to do now? Pull me. I can't believe it, Christians. Well, I can because I've seen it. It's hard for me to imagine how a Christian can sit and hear the word. Sure, the word somewhere. I mean, it's got to be a lot of places. But let's say you're hearing the word a lot. How can you then get on the phone in a time of difficulty and talk about your problems and your trials to each other? I'm just a poor, lonely soldier. I've been shot bad. I feel like I've been had. You all just feel so. I want sympathy. Not if you're a soldier of the cross, you don't. I have found this. There's no reason to advertise your problems because there's no market for them. You might as well cast all of your, uh, um, what's that word, care? Care is the word for anxiety. That's that mental word again. That troubled, disturbed heart. In the troubled and disturbed state, you just can't reach out to your faith. Disturbing troubles do knock on your door. You don't have to accept it. You'll have to fight through it. You'll have to be aware that it's there. One misstep will hurt you. But if you hold on, fight the good fight of faith, you can overcome all of that kind of stuff. You hear about health care. Now, health care is a big issue, and people are just fretting over that. All the insurance companies are, all the government, oh, mine, all the... Why are you talking like that? I'm preaching, but I mean, I'm acting like people are talking like that. What does all this fear about health care? Has not the Almighty promised you good health? Did he not say in the little epistle 3 John verse 2 that he wished above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers or is growing and learning and being edified that you should also realize prosperity and health is yours. Now don't look at me like I spit on the floor because it's true. Those things were bought for you at a terrible price. In taking our place and being our sin offering, Jesus died a tough death. But that death delivered us from everything the devil had put on God's people. Jesus took it off in his atoning work. The devil has no more right to do all this stuff. So why should we worry about all this stuff? And what about old age and the bills of old age? Old age, smove age, go beige, who shays? Who cares? If God can take care of a young man busy in his 30s, can he not take care of his grandpa? Of course he can. We can't deny the aging process. It just means we don't have to yield to all the prognostications about it. Well, you know, you need hospital. No, you need hospitalization if you're going to die in a hospital. I don't plan on dying in a hospital. I might be here when the Lord comes, so we're stuck. Because I do believe he's coming soon. But if he doesn't, I have something better. I still believe this. Psalm 91, for those who believe it, is the best thing you've got. No evil shall befall you. No plague. That's an incurable, fatal thing. No plague come nigh your dwelling. Concerning you, he will give his angels charge and they will keep you in all your ways. What more do we want? So you don't even dash your foot against a stone? Plus he ends that assurance policy by saying in verse 16, with long life, He will satisfy you. Doesn't mean with long life you'll barely make it. He said with long life, he will satisfy you. I think a lot of people learned how to quote that and it didn't work for them. But I think it's supposed to work. God may have a special plan for somebody like a Stephen who was going to die young to influence a Paul. 
So I don't know what special anything with anybody is. I just know as far as I know with what I read that the 91st Psalm is what I'm supposed to believe. He said, I have been old and, and I've been young and I haven't seen God's seed begging for bread yet. God didn't call us out of darkness to make us live a dark life. He came to turn everything around in your life, to bless you when you go out, to bless you when you come in, that everything you put your hand to should prosper. All of you. All of you. In the workforce out there, and praise God in the kitchen and the oven. Ooh, the oven from whence cometh goodies and so forth. We should be blessed. Now, people might laugh. You're making that up. I believe this. I believe it even at the risk and the sake of sound like a fool. I believe it. I think of all the things that people worry about. You worry about your body, and your body's been redeemed. You worry about prosperity, and God said he'll supply all your needs according to his riches. He's not broke in Christ Jesus. He'll bless you when you go out. He'll bless you when you come in. He'll bless you in the city. He'll bless you in the field. There's no other place you could be on this earth unless you're swimming. Or you live in the ocean somewhere. He says, if you will take his word, heed it, give heed to it, and let his word become your life, like he says he wants it to. He said, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Now, if you believe that, what in the world are you worrying about? What are you clamoring about? And I'm not saying anybody is. I don't know any. I'm not after somebody. I'm just saying from 30 years of being in the church. Why are you talking back and forth with each other about your problems and your woes and, oh, poor old man. Don't you have an answer? Isn't there an answer for all this stuff? Oh, what about the terrorists? What about terrorists? What about them? Oh, they might kill us. They can't kill anybody unless God allows it. So if a bunch of them come running in here with bazookas, they only fire if they let them. There's been many wonderful stories in history where the enemy has tried to kill somebody and a gun wouldn't work. I know one case where they shot one pistol and it wouldn't work. He threw it down, got another guy's pistol, and it wouldn't work either. Then the guy goes away, picks the pistol up, and fires in the air, bang, bang. It wouldn't work on this guy here. There's been visions. I remember visions 30 years ago that were given about the last days, about being chained to the wall or held in a firing squad. And somebody said, do you have anything to say before you die? And somebody said, yes, your guns won't fire in the name of Jesus. Click, 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 click. They say, oh, I don't believe all that. Well, then you'll get shot. <laughs> you'll be one of those that sags to the ground. I'm telling you, folks, the wonderful things that God will do for those who believe. Amen. That's right. Nothing is impossible. Amen. Nothing. And again, why should we be afraid or worry about anything? Look at Psalms 56. You might want to remember this one and write it down. Psalms 56 and verse 3. What time I am afraid, we're all faced with it. What do you do? What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Why? Because of verse 11. That's why you trust. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do to me. Well, what if man shoots you? Then you go to heaven. You get there quicker than the rest of us. Well, ha ha, that's not funny. That's the truth. And if you think heaven is not better than where you live, then you need to keep coming. Because there's no place like what God is preparing for us. 
or whether you've noticed it or not, in the last 10 years or so in this world, it's getting pretty bad. It's getting vulgar and nasty and ornery. Well, just like he said in Timothy about these signs of the last day, lovers of self, heady, high-minded, nasty. You know, Christians are beginning to think more and more, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The pursuits of this world, I see now, they've lost their shine, their sheen. Come quickly, Jesus. So, we don't have to fear and we don't have to worry, but it's through worry and fear, which with its accompanying doubt, that multitudes of saints are being robbed. A second reason that saints are being robbed is because of ignorance. Ignorance. Now, I don't mean being dumb. I don't mean that kind of ignorance. I mean just lacking information. Saints that have not been taught. I think my ancestors were part of that crowd. My mother's and dad's side. My dad's side was all Catholic. They were robbed. They were robbed for generations on that side. Well, it couldn't have been too many generations because this America's not that old. My mom's side, the little country church with the little kind preacher and the things he said to try to make everybody feel good and about things, they never were taught. There was never instruction. There was never pointing out to anybody how to live the crucified life or how to take up your cross daily. It was a good idea. It's a nice thing to do because it has advantages in the Bible, but if the preacher's not doing it, he didn't know how to teach it. And most people in those churches weren't taught. My dad told me once, I think I was barely saved, but the reason they didn't study the Bible was because they might get it wrong and that would be a sin. I think you poor souls, you've been sitting in that institution, that religious institution, my dad and his mother and his brother and sister and their ancestors on that side, they sat in that atmosphere their whole life, praying to statues, believing the concoctions of man were okay and right, counting on all of that for their salvation, and could not tell you, like that nun one time up in Ohio at a meeting I was at, sitting next to my friend Sonny. And I said, open your Bible to the book of James. It was Sunday morning. It was the last meeting of this big weekend shindig in a big park out there between Columbus and Pittsburgh, right in that part of Ohio. And there's a big crowd there. And she had to sit on the floor down front, turned to James and this woman with all of her Catholic stuff on, she couldn't find James. I'm not talking about a young lady just fresh out of whatever they go to. This was an older lady. My Mother Teresa type. Turned the book of James. She couldn't find it. She had a Bible. She didn't read it. Bible goes with the garb. She didn't read it. Didn't know what was in it. I think, what a human tragedy that you devote yourselves to being a good member of that system of man and they denied you the word of God your whole life. You can't even find a book, the Bible, even in your Dalway version, which has the Apocrypha, the other books, you can't even find the book of James. You could find Bell and the Dragon or Judith. There's two books in there. But you couldn't find the book of James. No wonder people are robbed. The devil comes at them and is robbing them of this, again, with fear and stuff, and these are open doors. You begin to be afraid, and you act afraid, and here comes the devil, and here comes a disease or a sickness, and here comes this problem, and here comes all kinds of stuff because of these two open doors. And these people don't fight the devil. They don't know how let alone how do you know when it's the devil and when it's not? How can I tell if it's the devil? They don't know. They just have this kindness about them, this outward appearance and this look of piety. And they pray a lot and they do all these kind of things and go through the routine. 
and can't find the book of James. It's a wordless religion. And it's a robber, it's a cheater, and it's a thief. And I'm not talking just about that particular system of religion because as I said the other day, there's a whole lot of people who call themselves fundamentalists who will not let people believe in divine healing or the gifts of the Spirit or a charismatic life or holiness. They talk their congregations out of all this and as a substitute for this way of faith, they give them building projects, missionary journeys, and all kinds of programs. And they get involved, they get mingled in all of that, and they get to work in there, and they're doing this and doing that. It's not the word in their life. It's the system that's in their life. They don't know how to fight the devil either. They don't even know what a trial of your faith is. To them, faith is the name of your church. We're the Baptists or the Christian faith, or we're this kind of faith. They don't know what it means because they're ignorant. And the devil feeds on ignorance. He wants you to be busy. He wants you to go places and do things. Or he wants you to assume, for example, that because I'm a preacher and I preach twice a week, I'm going to heaven. That won't get you to heaven. If you mislead people your whole life, you ain't going to heaven. I don't care how hard you preach and where you were. I can't tell you how much of a premium that God puts on his word. And yet because of its content and because of its challenges, and because of what is required of us to live on his terms, and the preacher himself doesn't do it, he talks his congregation out of doing it too. I'm talking about the systems of man. Allow me to ride this horse again tonight, because I'm watching this happen as I stand here tonight. Churches are talked out of their faith. They have no faith. Lady said one time, oh, how do you memorize the Bible so much? Not everybody can do that. And I think, how many phone numbers have you memorized? Social security numbers, addresses, children's birthdays. I don't know how you women memorize all those birthdays. Well, how old is so-and-so? My wife would say, well, she was born after sister. And I give you, you know, age and dates. We all have minds, folks. We can use them as much as we want to. But the devil wants to keep it empty where the word should be. Just take for granted what you hear. Don't go search the scriptures, see if it's true. Don't spend time with the word. Don't pray over this. Don't put your finger on something and say, Lord, make this to be mine. Lord, show me this. Don't do that. Just take for granted. I go to church. I've been baptized in water. You're all right. I sat under so-and-so, I've been there, I've done that, I've gone over, hey, you're all right. That's what the devil wants you to do. And the time of difficulty comes, you have no word in you. As I said recently here, the word you hide in your heart is the word the Holy Spirit uses to prompt you to fight with that word. It's a sword. If you're not hiding anything in your heart, if you're not keeping in memory and remembrance what you're hearing and working at that, what are you going to use to fight when the devil comes? Well, you're going to have to stand your ground and fight him. You have to make up your mind about healing and doctors. And I keep saying this. I'm not against doctors. If, if we didn't have doctors, most Christians would die. It shouldn't be like that. The doctors do their very best at relieving the misery of this world as best they know how. But for us, there's a better way. I'm glad for them. I have had personal friends through the years who were doctors and medical doctors. I've known one down in Hopkinsville. He's dead now. He's a fine man. He used to invite me down there all the time to speak, and we'd talk about things. And he tried. He really did. He tried, and he cared about people's miseries and problems, tried to help people, grieved over them when they died. But do you know there's something better for us? We have something better than all of that. We do. We have, I am the Lord that heals you. His word is medicine to our flesh in Proverbs 4. Our Messiah, Jesus, carried your pains. 
as well as your sorrows and your griefs. He carried your pain and your diseases. And by his stripes, you were healed. Prosperity, what is it that you need that God cannot provide? What do you need that if you have faith, he will not provide? He doesn't limit us. Did you know that? When he said, what things soever you desire, he took the limits off. He said, what things ever you desire. When you pray, believe you've got it and you'll get it. I still have them hanging on my wall in my office. Again, it's been through the washing machine once, but I've framed it. I wrote it one night, early in the morning, I wrote down my little contract with God for a house. Of course, my mind was telling me all the time, how can he give you? You don't have enough money to buy a window. And I still remember this because it was a kind of a, a moment in my life. I think, I don't have to know how he's going to do it. I got the easy part. I'm claiming he's got the hard part. He's the doer. I'm going to hold on to it. And I did. And he did. That little verse in Mark chapter 10, no man hath left houses. He said that plural. And I thought houses plural. Did I get more than one? And people think, well, now, you know, that's not, it's been time in my life I had more than one. When my mother died, I had that one. That counts. I had two. I'm just saying that my childish mind, my gentle, childish little mind just believes what God said. I'm not sophisticated. God didn't call me because I was sophisticated. I'm not. And I like it this way because I'm not cluttered with intellect. Intellect. <laughs> I know in whom I have believed, and I know what the Bible says. And I've met some smart people that didn't know a thing about the Bible. They weren't smart because when they die, they're dead. When we die, we live. Amen. That's so good. Praise God. How can you be sure of all these things that we're talking about? How can you know that all of this is true? Faith. How do you know the Bible's true? I don't. I believe it is. How do you know that God's going to just heal you? I believe he will. Based on what? He said he would. What's that song we saying? Teach. Somebody's going to have to help me. Teach me thy way. Why? So that I can walk in thy truth. Let me ask you a question. Is there any other way in this life to please God? You can think of all your imagination can run wild with all the things you could do that surely God, whoa, we're doing this for God. And God said, the only thing I want you to do is live like my word is true. I just want you to live like it's true, act like it's true, think like it's true, talk like it's true. Count on me to do what I said I would do. Just count on me. That's all you can do. But that's the only way you can please God. Now, if somebody doesn't teach me that, if somebody doesn't show me that, well, my ignorance is a great flaw in my life. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you, who once were bound, like our text said in Isaiah 42, you once were bound and in prison, but the light came, it was like a key. It unlocked the door and God set you free by his word. Turn to Romans 8. Let me give you something to underline, make note of, and think about tomorrow. If tomorrow comes, it may not be here. Wouldn't it be nice to go home tonight? Oh, that was so weak. But anyway, y'all can stay. Romans 8 and verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, either I am or I'm not. A lot of people don't know that. So what do we have to do? Tell them. That's why I may be teaching tonight, but all of us should be able to teach your neighbor next door to be able to explain to other people what the Bible says. You're going to run into people. God will put them in your path. You're going to run into a lot of people that ask you a reason of the hope that is within you. And you need to be able to tell them what the Bible says about why you have hope. 
I have hope because I have faith in God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. I believe what God has said in his word. I believe he'll do for me what he said that he would do. Therefore, I act like, live like, and think like as best I can that God's going to do what he said he would do. Therefore, I'm free. And people look at you, they say, well, I'll go to church. I don't care where you go to church. Church, I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about learning. I'm talking about your mind, somebody teaching you the ways of God. Paul got on him in Hebrews 5. He said, you know, you have gotten to the place where somebody needs to teach you again the very first principles of the oracles of God. You're like people who need milk and not meat because you can't eat meat. You're still babies. That wasn't a compliment either. God expects us to grow. That's a coming series, though. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. Listen to this. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge. Is that how you escape the pollutions of the world? Through the knowledge? If they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then you can get the rest of it for another point. But that's how you escape the pollutions of this world, it's through knowledge. Teach me. Church is a teaching center. Among the various reasons that we come here, the main one perhaps, well, I think it is, is to be taught the word. That brings me to point three. People are robbed because of their pride. Some people can't be taught. They know too much. They're way ahead of everybody. They're just deep in the Lord. Pride is all about you, who I am, who I think I am, what I've done, what, how I feel about what I've done, and how important I am. A proud person is offended if he's not recognized. He pouts. A proud person is somebody who might not prophesy or say a, give a testimony for fear that it might not come out exactly right and then people may look down on me. So because he's so full of himself, he won't do that. He couldn't clap his hands if somebody important was watching him because, well, he wondered what they might think about him. He would never get up and run around the building when all the rest of you were running. That'd be a good time to get in line. He wouldn't do that because what would people think? I'm sure there are some who would be too proud to come to a little church like this at the place we meet here. I mean, what would people think? Is that the best you can do? A little concrete block building out there in that muddy lot? You go there? If you said, well, I don't go to the building because the building has such appeal. It's there that God has met me and that God has begun to set me free. I didn't go there to worship the walls and the ceiling and all the ornate stuff we got here. I go there because when I get there, I join in to worship God to whom I am grateful and to whom I am thankful. But also to hear what he says to me about life and about what he wants for me. I don't think anybody with that attitude ever goes home disappointed. I don't think you ever go home empty. Because what you bring in here, if it's hungry, God will feed it. And when he feeds you, he makes you grow. The big difference between those that are doing well and those that aren't is your need. Just a four-letter word, need. Some need it and some don't. Some get it, some won't. Some have it, some don't. It's all about need. But that will replace a lot of your pride. Can't get involved with tongues, healing, dancing, and so forth. What would people think? I was a basketball coach, and they heard about me casting out demons. Now, what decent, honorable, dignified Christian assembly in Charlestown, Indiana, would tolerate anybody casting out demons, whatever that means? And they looked at us like we had leprosy. All the old members of the pillars, all the ones that sat in the back, were all just embarrassed. This is coming out of our church. And they had a prayer meeting one night. When? I didn't remember that being in the bulletin. See, the bulletin tells you what God's going to do all week long. And all the scheduled events, we used to go out and knock on doors. And we'd come in and get in the church and turn on the old cross. We had a big old gold cross and had a light behind it. Man, you could get into prayer with that thing on. 
<laughs> Y'all not getting all this. But anyway, we get to praying, and we sit there. We pray for a couple of hours. One night, the, somebody told one of the pillars at the church that there was something going on in that church, and they didn't know what it was, but I bet you go in there, you'll catch something you wish you hadn't caught. That's the way they think over there. So we heard the door, back door open. We were in there praying in tongues. Giddy, 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 you know. It was Charlie Henthorne, night watchman. Hallelujah, giddy, 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 giddy. You know, we're just praying in tongues. He came in that flight. What's going on in here? What's going on in here? Why, Charlie, we're praying. Why don't you get out here and join us? Everybody knew everybody in the town I grew up in. Who is this? Well, this is the preacher right here. He pastors his church. I'm one of the elders, and this is my wife. And why don't you get out here and pray with us? Maybe the Lord will save you tonight. He left and went out the back door. And just embarrass those poor people, just embarrass those poor souls that people would be praying in their sanctuary. Can you believe that people were praying in the sanctuary <laughs> at night with the lights on? That's where I got filled with the Holy Ghost in that sanctuary on that, the front step. I got born again right there, and I was kneeling right here the night I spoke in tongues the first time. I was right there in that church. Oh, Charlie should have been there that night. <laughs> it was quite a night. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I kept holding my mouth when I got it, and I couldn't stop it. I tried not to talk out loud because people were there that I knew, and I didn't know, you know the basketball coach. Come on, give me a break. And what would people think if I'm going giddy, 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 giddy? So I put my hand over my mouth. I remember Judy Cox. She was talking tongues at me, and then I'd just go. <laughs> she said, no, the Lord has something to say to you. I'll never forget this. We are all just praying. I walked over to the organ. I said, I'm going to just say a few words and see what happened. I just went, you know, giddy, 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 giddy. And she said, that's not the Holy Ghost. That was you. Man, I remember the chill bumps came. God's in this room. I crawled under the front row pew there. Got up against the corner of <laughs> I didn't want to do it out loud, not yet. I did later on. But, you know, I'm the basketball coach. I'm really important. But God was good. Naaman, you remember old Naaman, the Syrian? Go dip yourself in that nasty river and you'll be healed of your leprosy. You have to read the story in 2 Kings chapter 5. He said, he wouldn't even come out and talk to me. He just told me from inside the house, go dip yourself in that river. He didn't even come out here and talk to me. I'm going home. And his servant said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If he told you to go in some big river, you'd have done it. You came this far. So he did, and he got healed. Verse 14, he came back. He said, what can I do for you? I don't think the prophet would even come out then and tell him what he could do for him. Don't need anything. Pride. I'm not going to dip myself in that river. I'm not going to get baptized. Where's our baptistry? A horse trough. How many of you got baptized in that horse trough at old church? Well, a number of you did. Remember that? When Bonnie got in it one morning, we had to break the ice. And I'm standing on the outside. I think, oh, I'm glad it ain't me because I'd yell. <laughs> she went down and brought her up. She took a real deep... <gasps> It was all. I thought, she's tough. Well, I'd have kicked water and slung myself all over the place up there. A uh, horse trough. You got baptized a horse trough? How about a bathtub? Baptized a lady one time. How many months was she with child? About eight months. Filled the tub up as far as I could, and I couldn't get her all under. I said, you want to go down again? We got to get all in. Put a hand on her belly and got all of it under until it was all wet. I mean, I can laugh about it now, but you lose your pride. You walk with the Lord down the road. You don't have much. People hear about your life. And they say, there's no dignity or not. I do have dignity, but man, God will humble us. Whoo. He will take you down and make you whatever he wants you to be. See, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that leads me to my last point 
about why people are robbed because of distractions. You try to fast and you smell food. You've been convinced or convicted about needing to discipline yourself and make it a point daily to spend time with God in a certain way, whether reading or praying or just meditating. Okay, I got to start somewhere, so you start. Or you're going to meet with your children or your family, have a family hour as father. And you do it for a couple of times or a couple of days. And the next thing you know, oh, man. And then, oh, man, keeps coming. And then, that, oh, man, you got to go do this. Oh, man. Oh, woman, you got to go do this. And oh, woman, you got to go do that. It seems like there's so many things that pop up, things that come up. But again, you can smell cookies if you're trying to fast. You get distracted with children playing, making a racket, and you're trying to study it, and you heard something go bang. You think, oh, man. It's just distractions. The classic distractions in the Bible, I want to close with this tonight, is in Luke chapter 10. If you'll turn over there. Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, verse 40, but Martha was cumbered about much serving. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. Just like when your mother used all three of your names, you were in trouble. My mother, when I was in my worst kind of trouble, she'd say, Tommy Willis Hamilton, I thought, this is a whipping. Because the only time I get three names is when I'm in trouble. But when Jesus used your name twice, Martha, Martha, you're in trouble. Not trouble with judgment, but just you messed up. Martha, Martha, you're cumbered about with so much stuff. You're so easily distracted. You should be sitting here doing what Mary's doing because she has chosen that one good part that will never be taken away from her. And only one thing is necessary. That's what Mary's doing. She's listening to the word. And you're so distracted. You've got to serve. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to go mow the grass when you should be sitting here and you should be on the phone calling somebody to wish them. But you've got this to do. And you've got so many things in your life to do that you really get nothing done. And the devil's folding his arms, making a fool of you. Ha, ha, ha. Because he knows if you get discouraged enough, you'll begin to weaken. And you'll think, well, I, it just didn't work. And you just learn to live with not doing things you've got convicted of doing. Amen. Are you robbed? Are you more than conquerors? You should be more than a conqueror. Because God's on your side. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. you believe that? Right, how many of you are soldiers of the cross? Turn to somebody and say, I'm a fighter. You're free to go home. God bless all of you. Amen.